podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sunday evening checklist. Uh, meal prep done, clothes laid out, and your fantasy NFL team picked for Paddy Power Fantasy's massive £3 million prize pot fantasy game. First place wins a million pounds. And because Paddy Power Fantasy games last only as long as the game week, we'll have a winner by Monday. You could pay someone to lay out your clothes on Sundays. Only £9 to enter, and last entry by 6pm Sunday. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us in a jam-packed show coming your way. We'll check in with Iron Mike Carlson very soon, and a lot to be getting into with the big man. We'll look back at Monday Night Football and those unbeaten 49ers. Bit of MVP chat as well. Mike will tell us what makes a great quarterback. We'll dive into the mailbag as well and plenty more besides. So looking forward to getting stuck in. Just a quick bit of housekeeping. Follow us on social media at the NC Show Facebook, Instagram, at Twitter. We're pushing stuff out all week long. Bonus video goes out on Friday as well as it does on the ESPN UK channel. Ben Isaac's in the studio on Friday, so I'll have an extra bit of college chat with Ben to uh, four episodes a week. So if you're new to the show, listening to us for the very first time, don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcatcher you are catching us on and you won't miss a trick. Right then, let's get this show well and truly on the road and check in with Iron Mike. Iron Mike, what's occurring? Well, I can't talk long because I've got uh, a couple of phone calls from Landover, Maryland, on the other on the other line, um, and I, I think uh, we're discussing a possible job with a, a certain organization that will oh, be un- unnamed in the NFL. How about yeah, that? I've All offered right. to do it very cheaply, but they're more mm-hmm. concerned with um, being able to take all the blame if things go badly oh, sure. and, okay. and not get any of the credit if things go well. And, and I said, well, I thought that went without saying with this job. Yeah, it's a little bit exciting. It's quite a, lot, a little bit like working on this show, I think. Um, uh, you and Dan Snyder, of course, is a match made in heaven. So I think that's a, that's a great shout. Um, Mike, lots to get into uh, today. We're gonna, we're gonna talk a bit of Patriots, surprisingly, given the fact they are uh, on an absolute tear. Uh, we haven't paid much lip service to the champs this season. And who better than to get into that with Iron Mike and work out what this current incarnation of the Pats looks like and how it's built because there are some interesting things i think uh mike has got to say about that we're going to talk the mvp race as well uh i'm seeing as quarterbacks are all the rage backup quarterbacks specifically we're going to break down those different tiers of quarterbacks trying to avoid the word elite because i know that will just wind you up but what's the difference <laughs> between a great quarterback a good quarterback a so-so a backup uh, the mechanics and the makeup of what makes a great quarterback and that will segue fluently into iron mike's top five slash six slash seven uh, of the week, uh, which is I'm Mike's top five quarterbacks ever. And I've got inspired by Oli, our producer on that one, I'm Mike, because you've got your top five all-time great quarterbacks. And I thought I'm going to put down my five desert island quarterbacks. So if I could take on a desert island and say an hour game footage of five quarterbacks that I've seen, not necessarily in the flesh, but I've watched since I was a kid, my five favorite quarterbacks, they're going to be the five best but my five favorites, so I can just watch footage again and again. So I'm going to throw that back at you a little bit later on. Better be a pretty big desert island. <laughs> They're not going to literally be there. I'm just going to watch them <laughs> on an iPad or something. Or any tablet would work, quite frankly. Uh, okay, let's start with Monday Night Football. That's what we're getting to uh, first. And those 49ers have had their, their best start to 
a season since 1990 going unbeaten. The defense just bringing it to, to Baker Mayfield, quite literally. Did you see Nick Bosa in the locker room afterwards? Like some great comments from him, who, uh, of course, has got a bit of history with Baker. They go back to, it goes back to the college days when uh, Baker Mayfield riled Bosa at the Ohio State connection there. And uh, Nick Bosa didn't hold back in his post-match media comments saying uh, we were just calling him out, Baker, Baker, come on, make it competitive and uh, having a lot of fun at the expense of the fairly gregarious and confident Baker Mayfield. So, yeah. before, no, his defense getting it done, Mike. Yeah, well, it was more, he, he actually uh, did it during the game uh, because when, when Oklahoma played Ohio State, Mayfield had this big Ohio, Oklahoma flag. That's right. Which took out in the middle of the field and then, you know, did, did the kind of jumping on the Ohio State uh, logo and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when Bosa sacked him, he did this, he sort of mimicked uh, waving that huge flag and doing the dance and all that. <laughs> so it was a moment of some satisfaction uh, for Bosa. And this is kind of his arrival game in the um right. in the NFL although you know having said that the offensive line for Cleveland especially the tackles is particularly weak and you know we talked a little bit about um when we were at uh Spurs mm. for the game about uh, the seeming, seemingly the bears coming out a bit flat in the mm. in the first half Cleveland came out so flat <laughs> you would have thought they'd taken like a reverse red eye to get out there to <laughs> to uh, to San Francisco. It's quite possible with Freddie Kitchens running the show, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, and they were they were you know they did not play badly at times. They just could not string anything together, and you can you can see it on on the very first run of the game, um, their very first offensive play when Matt Breida goes 80, 83 yards. You know, Olivier Vernon has a good shot at him and just stands there and doesn't take it. And then Demarius Randall, who's the safety, takes an incredibly silly angle, you know, basically lets him run past him and then tries to chase him and, and couldn't catch him. And, you know, you take that 83-yard run out of the game uh, and then, you know, you, you take away a couple of other plays and, and it's a completely different game. But mm. the, the Browns managed to do what they could not to get themselves back in. And then what I'm thinking of in particular is um, a really bad performance, I thought, by Antonio Callaway. Yep. Uh, you know, who, although having said that, the commentators and they, they he, he shall go nameless <laughs> on that place and a perfect pass from Bray, Baker Mayfield, <laughs> just a little behind him and low <laughs> and, and which it was, but, but there was a, another pass in the end zone where Callaway uh, May, Mayfield threw it where he had to, which was a mm. Of Callaway and Callaway made a kind of half-hearted, one-handed effort to go up for it because he was looking at the safety who was about to smother him, um, cream him if uh, if he made the catch. And and so, you know, that, what are the reasons for that, Mike? Uh, Ollie, our producer, uh, said to me before the end uh, of our, our radio show on Sunday, loving Callaway uh, as a touchdown scorer on Monday, loving that really, really good, good uh, tip there. So it was inevitable once he'd given us that insight. Absolutely, you know, and. And you know, Emmanuel Mosley made a great play to, to tip a touchdown away from him in the end zone, and um, Odell Beckham was better as a passer than a receiver. In this game. I mean, <laughs> sure. he, he had a he had a terrible drop, and you know, and I thought I thought Nick Chubb was was doing what Nick Chubb can do. 
they just weren't able to put anything else together because whether it's Mayfield and his receivers aren't on the same page, whether his receivers aren't paying attention to, you know, what's supposed to be going on. And, and Ricky Seals Jones nearly made a great catch with Richard Sherman draped all over him, but, you know, but he couldn't get his, <laughs> he couldn't get his toe down. Um, he got his heel down instead of his toe and his toe was already out of bounds. So, you know, it was one of those games where, it, it doesn't necessarily look as bad as it looks, although when you're outgained, I think it was 40, 450 yards to 180, more more or less, <laughs> you, you kind of expect to lose. The time it's of possession on this one was, was um, I noted it down, 37-43 to 22-17, uh, which is generally the indication of a of a bad loss. Although having said that the time of possession was almost the same in the Indianapolis, Kansas city game, which was 16 to uh, 13, 19 to 13. It, lots of things on Mayfield's shoulders, obviously after another defeat in his, in his worst performance as a pro, I think uh, statistically and otherwise, and uh, given the hype they had preseason, many people looked at them as, you know, a, a dark horse Super Bowl tip. They seem to believe that hype as well. Their season's now in, if not tatters, then certainly they are, up against it. How much of that is on Freddie Kitchens? How much of it is on Mayfield? Because, you know, talked about the uh, gregariousness of Baker Mayfield and uh, working with uh, Jay Bell and OC yesterday, and Jay Bell incidentally on the show next week, uh, plugged that, uh, and they were saying how disrespectful Mayfield was, even at the start of the game. They, he wasn't going to shake the captain's hands. He was just being difficult to, to players <laughs> like Sherman and serious vets that it's just rubbing people up the wrong way, and it's a dangerous game to play, Mike, isn't it? It is, but um, to be honest, Richard Sherman was making a meal of this before that happened during during the week and and conducting the NFL on social media. I know everybody loves to to hype it up and get all excited about it, but uh, realistically, that's that's not the way not the way that things play out. I mean, what Mayfield's, do you mean though? Because Mayfield is he does wind up his opposition more than most other well, players. Some, He's one and of those you know, football. some players wind up the opposition. Everybody says, "Oh, look at that! That's great." He puts them off their game. Um, Richard Sherman winds up the opposition, and he Richard Sherman's it. got it done. He's got he's got yeah. X what eleven years as a, one of the top players in his position in the NFL. Make Bayfield's been here for a cup of coffee. Absolutely, but you know, but uh, once it works, it works, and and uh, this is what we understand uh, as opposed to what's going on in the football field, which we don't necessarily understand, uh, mm. and the dynamic between Mayfield and his receivers and and Kitchens and his offense. Um, we're, we're not convinced. We're not sure yet of where where that stands. Remember, he's only a second year quarterback, and Bill Barnwell made a really good point comparing Mayfield's second year with Drew Brees's second year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Breeze being a, someone who at least stature-wise he compares with very, very closely. And Breeze in his second year got benched for Doug Flutie, who right. was at that point 41 years old. And then they drafted Philip Rivers um, and let Breeze go uh, a year later. Yeah. Um, you know, and and so in in that case, quarterbacking, which we're going to discuss, is is often a mix of a quarterback and an offense and a coach. And I think part of the thing with Cleveland is that Freddie Kitchens did a great job last year of converting or or changing the whole ethos of the bear of the Browns offense. Mm. But this year he has to change the whole ethos of the team. And he's dealing with a lot of really outsized personalities right. who have to buy in to what it is he's trying to do. And this is one of those things we talked about a little a few weeks ago, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about it some more. The, the idea of bringing offensive guru, 
head coaches in with no head coaching experience, mm. um, you know, has its pitfalls. And a lot of those pitfalls have to do with team construction. Mm. Um, and, you know, he's not the kind of guy. It's not it's not his nature. And he doesn't have the reputation either to to bring with it to kind of knock heads, knock guys into line. Who are, who are hard, you know, if Tom Coughlin keep, can't keep OBJ into, you know, can't keep his focus on the game. And when I say into line, that's all I'm really talking about. You know, mm-hmm. the, all this kind of um, social media stuff doesn't bother me at all, as long as a guy keeps his focus on the game. Sure. Um, you know, and okay, um, Richard Sherman delivered, and he delivered big uh, in that game. But, you know, you, you want to see OBJ deliver the way he did against the giant against the jets when he came back to New York, you know, because every game is like that. You don't need a special occasion uh, Mm -hmm. to have to have to get up for it, especially when you're a contender like Cleveland is in a, in a division that at this point seems still wide open. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. The um, 49ers unbeaten and getting their running game going as well. Garoppolo looking a bit more composed. They're not necessarily winning because of him, but he's not uh, risking games in the way that people thought maybe at the start of the season he would. So uh, good news uh, for them. So let's roll into the other unbeaten team in the NFL right now, Mike, the New England Patriots, who uh, many things I want to ask you about, particularly the, the construct of this current uh, Patriots incarnation. And the offense in particular, I want to get a sense of how you feel that is working. But a lot of people are pointing out their vanilla schedule, and it's something they can't control. They can't help being in the AFC East, and the Bills, I guess, are, are obviously a competitive, more competitive um, than many in the AFC, frankly. But the, the Jets and the Dolphins are two of the worst teams in the NFL, let alone in that conference. So they've got an automatic advantage there. Is it difficult to gauge just how good this Patriots side is because of that? It's very difficult to do that. Um, and the other thing is, you know, there, there are six bad teams in the NFL right now and, and Denver and Arizona picked up their first wins. So, you know, they're automatically promoted out of the list of losers. Um, but of the other four, two of them are in the AFC East and two of them are in the NFC East and the Patriots this year have drawn, drawn the NFC East right. as their, as the division they play. So therefore they have, they have six games against the four worst teams in the league, which is, which is a gift in a sense, but, but the other teams in their division will do that. We're going to have some great kind of loser bowl games, uh, tank bowl games when, when, you know, <laughs> yeah. when the Jets, when the Jets play the Giants, when the, the when Redskins the, Miami the this Redskins weekend, right? Miami this weekend, exactly. <laughs> the that's, will blow it. You know, that, that's, that's gotta be, I mean, that's really one that you should put, you know, in prime time because it's <laughs> would, got, it's got so it. much riding on it, but yeah, yeah right. it, it's hard to judge how good the Patriots are, uh, particularly the defense. Because they haven't been challenged particularly well, and it's playing to historic levels after the first five weeks in terms of touchdowns allowed and, and interceptions, turnovers gained. Uh, and you know, how long can that continue? Remember, the only team they uh, played that was supposed to be a, a top flight team so far was Pittsburgh, uh, and Ben Roethlisberger got hurt in that game and, and left partway through the game. But would you not have the trouble. Bills as a top flight team? I, mean, I did. I remember. I, I had the Bills as, as a wild card in the AFC, yeah, okay. partly because of that schedule. You know, it was obvious to me that they were the second best team. But they benefit um, too from it. Yeah. yeah, and they benefit from the schedule. And it was really just a case of Josh Allen taking that step up from his first season and being a more consistent passer, which he, after the first game, he did for a couple of weeks and then against the Patriots. It. And this yeah. was my worry with the Patriots. He had a lot of open receivers in that game who he couldn't hit. 
And you could say, okay, the Patriots were, were giving them the underneath throws because they were challenging him to make those throws. And that was part of the game plan. But still, it's something that when you win only 16 to 10 and one of those touchdowns comes on a blocked punt, um, you know, you're, you're kind of walking a tightrope if he, if he does decide to uh, finally complete those passes. So, you know, this week, I don't think will be any different for New England because they're at home. Uh, to the Giants, and we'll still have that question. And then after that, they're against the Jets. Right. So it's kind of like a New Jersey, New Jersey derby for them back to back. Safe to say they will be unbeaten in a couple of weeks when we talk about them again. Offensively, Mike, uh, looking at particularly the, the, the dynamic and balance of the running game and, uh, and the passing game. And of course, they, they use James White out of the backfield, spraying it around. So looking at statistically, Edelman is their leading receiver at the moment, but they're all kind of bunched together, really. Dorsett, Gordon, James White from the backfield, uh, all around the 200, 250-yard mark in terms of receptions. Are they missing? Are they expecting, say, Gordon to step up more and more as the season progresses? Are they missing that number one receiver they were trying to get in Antonio Brown? Does it matter with this offense that is obviously without uh, Gronkowski and is different from years gone by? Yeah, it does matter because they don't have a mismatch right. uh, nightmare for defenses to to kind of allow for. Uh, and Gronk was always that mismatch. If you double team him, then it leaves people like Gordon or Edelman able to get open. If you don't double team him, he's going to outrun a linebacker and uh, outmuscle a safety. So, so there was always that threat when Gronk, when Gronk was in the lineup. And, you know, when the Patriots offense was at its best, they either had Randy Moss on the outside or they had Gronk um, and uh, Hernandez mm-hmm. at tight end. So you could, you could always get some kind of mismatch. It's interesting that Ben Watson came off the suspended list and they've released him rather than activate him. Yeah, what's all that um, about, do you think? Well, it's partly financial, but partly that they think he – I don't think they believe he would give them much that they're not getting from Lacoste and Izzo, who are the two tight ends on the roster. Um, and he's certainly not – you know, at 38, he's not a Gronk. Um, he's not going to give them any sort of mismatch advantage. I think they think they've gotten enough good blocking and receiving, and they use those two tight ends more in this game um, than they had before. They also had to bring – they re-signed Jordan Richards, whose only problems as a safety are that he can't tackle and can't cover. Um, but as a special teams player, he's pretty good, and that's why he's there because they've had injuries in the special teams department. A, a bigger worry for them is watching their offensive line kind of get together. And remember, you know, Marshall Newhouse is their starting left tackle. Now, Trent Brown was one thing last year, you know, at 380 pounds, and and uh, they moved him to left tackle, and he was a huge success. Marshall Newhouse isn't as powerful as Trent Brown, um, probably isn't as, as quick as Trent Brown, and pass blocking in particular, he's more of a liability. But if you watched the game against Washington, you saw that after a pretty mediocre first half, they adjusted and decided to run with the running game and also to bring in um, the fullback more, um, the German kid from uh, the University of Tennessee. Remember, we talked about him because he was the one he was the one international player who went on the practice squad, but without the designation so that they could activate oh, him. Jacob Johnson. Jacob Johnson, and now and now he was he was activated, and um, he played pretty well. Oh, Rufus is a him. fan. 
Yeah, we didn't even mention the... Uh, <laughs> you did earlier. It was a delayed response yeah. to the chats about, from about four minutes ago. Yeah. Which is people people listening ought to realize that most of my information comes from my dog who watches <laughs> more, far more um, than games than I do. But um, they, they played really well in the second half and got some of the running game going, which is important to them. Uh, but they still lack that one dimension. I think they're probably still looking around. You've seen rumors about them possibly drafting for Tyler Eifert. But of course... Extra Eifert is the guy who always winds up on the IR. Um, so that's a risk. Um, Emmanuel Sanders in Denver, although after a win, I think John Elway probably thinks Denver's now on their march to the Super Bowl, so they wouldn't give up Sanders. But the Patriots tried to get him when he was a free agent uh, a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, they, they really do need that one more person who can create some kind of mismatch advantage for them. And fortunately, as you said, I mean, what the whole truth of this matter is that the schedule treats them very well, although there is a point in this schedule in week eight where Baltimore has a bye week, okay, mm-hmm. and New England is playing Cleveland, mm-hmm. and then New England has to go to Baltimore on Sunday to play in prime time. So, you know, it's unusual sort of to have a bye week and then host the prime time game. Um, and that's going to be the game where New England, you know, if Cle- if they get past Cleveland, if Cleveland don't pull up what will be an upset at that point, I think New England-Baltimore in week nine is going to be the game of the week. Mm, mark that in your diaries. And also the trade deadline that Mike was referring to, of course, uh, moving up fast. October the 29th is when... Uh, teams have to get their deals done by if they are going to re-up. So watch that space. And interesting that Jason Lacanfora, uh, the uh, NFL writer over in the States, talking about the New York Jets potentially being one of those teams that, unsurprisingly, given the season they're having, might be open uh, to bids for some of their stars. So uh, it'll get quite... Uh, <laughs> Quite interesting, is it? Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell and his contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they do. It would be a very jet. Actually, I don't want to say that because I don't want to get Rufus excited again. Uh, let's move on to, I want to talk MVP with you, Mike, uh, because as we talked about uh, a fair bit on the show already this season, the MVP is usually a quarterback. That's typically how the cards fall there. Adrian Peterson, the exception to that rule in, in, in recent years in terms of offensive players, but a couple of players, Dalvin Cook early on, and, and certainly Christian McCaffrey, a couple of running backs, forcing their way into the conversation that includes Patrick Mahomes, despite his um, indifferent performance because of injury against the Colts. That didn't didn't help when it was friendly fire from one of his own, uh, clanking his ankle, and he was clearly off kilter as a result. Um, Russell Wilson uh, is right in the thick of it as well after another uh, virtuoso performance from him. So it's uh, an interesting shortlist at the moment, and there is still a hell of a lot of football uh, to play. I want to ask, first of all, why don't other skill positions get the love in the MVP conversation as much as quarterbacks? How come it isn't more evenly spread? Well, the main thing is that the quarterback, with the possible exception of a goaltender in ice hockey, is the single most important person in any team sport. Um, you, you can't you know, if you're going to win without a really good quarterback, you have to have an exceptional defense. Uh, even if you have a 2000 yard runner, you still need some quarterbacking to do it. And for running back to get it, he needs to either have to 
you know, be a 2000 yard runner or be a, both a running receiving threat, which is, um, which is what Christian McCaffrey is. Talvin Cook has the potential to be a 2000 yard runner, um, like AP was in Minnesota. And he's on a team that wants to run the ball all the time. Um, so that, that makes him legitimate. Russell Wilson's in an interesting position because although the Seahawks say they want to run the ball all the time and, and they do well when Carson goes over 100 yards and doesn't fumble, they do depend on Russell Wilson more than I think any other team depends on their quarterback. And they have done since he came into the league. More than the Packers, um, did you say? Good point. I take I take that. We'll put point. it aside. Um, we'll put it. We'll yeah. pick it. But yeah, it, it's kind of the way Russell Wilson actually and Rogers does the same mm. thing to a lesser degree. But but they really depend on Wilson to bail them out yes. um, in unlikely ways. And um, I, I I don't think now you would argue that Rogers has more help than Wilson does. Mm. Um, but in previous years, he probably did. Um, and. The, um, and Patrick Mahomes obviously is the key to the, uh, Chiefs, even when the Chiefs were loaded with playmakers, when Tyreek Hill and, um, Hunt were both, were both playing for the Chiefs. It was still Patrick Mahomes who was getting the, the benefit of their contribution. But football's the ultimate team game, and that's why the quarterback stands out so much, because he's the one person who is given a win or a loss when the team wins or lose. The one, the one Context, player. obviously, on that, though, um, Mike, so I've, if you take the Panthers and McCaffrey specifically, who at the moment is averaging 173.2 yards from scrimmage uh, per game, which puts him on pace to have 2,771 yeah. if he keeps it up. And that would be a, a record, of course. Chris Johnson, back in 2008, remember him, early days of us working together, uh, 2,509 is the, is the all- uh, scrimmage record or yards from, from scrimmage, I should say. Um, given the Cam Newton situation and, uh, Kyle Allen's come in and, you know, performed pretty creditably. There's not a knock on him, but, but there's no doubt about it that McCaffrey is carrying Absolutely. this team. So if that, um, uh, this offense, certainly. So if that continues to happen, how much of the, the context of a situation and the, the literal interpretation of most valuable player gets applied there? A lot. Uh, I think, and right now, I think McCaffrey's got an excellent, right now, I would put Wilson and McCaffrey one, two, and Mahomes in three. Right. Cause I think, I think Mahomes is sort of inexorable in that offense. Um, if he, you know, I, I said before the season, I think he's going to regress a little bit, um, this year, but if he throws 38 touchdown passes instead of 50, he's still an, M- <laughs> sure. an, MV- an MVP candidate. And he's always going to be because he's such, such a talented player. Um, but right now I'd put Wilson and McCaffrey in those one, two spots and Rogers, a sneaky sort of number four mm. because, you know, the Packers are four and one, yeah. um, very quietly sort of, but. Uh, again, they, they do, as you said, depend on Rogers, on Rogers a lot. Yeah, really, really fair point. And a nice segue, Mike, into our quarterback chat, I think. Um, because we want to, you're going to have your top five and I'm going to wheel my desert island top. Uh, you do have a top five, right, this week, Mike, or are there a few more? I usually do. Yeah. <laughs> you usually have about seven or eight. Okay. Um, we'll get into that in a mo. But in terms of the construct of a, of a great quarterback, uh, and you have, you know, right now we've mentioned a few of them, Mahomes and Wilson, Breeze, Rogers, Brady, of course, Roethlisberger, Rivers, these top tier quarterbacks that at varying stages of their career, of course, as well. Um, but it's unequivocally, I think in, in the case of all of those players I've just mentioned, great quarterbacks. I don't think you'd find many people that would beg to differ on that front. And then you've got a whole bunch of players that 
range from average to pretty good, right? So you've got Jared Goff, uh, Garoppolo on his day, Cousins, you know, Dalton maybe when he's on his on form. And maybe that's the point, Mike. Is, is that the key? Is it, is it consistency week in, week out, most weeks, most seasons, building that up? That's it. That must be a different styles of quarterbacks we talked about as well. They're fundamentally different players, Brady and, and Mahomes. Uh, so talk us through what you think, having covered the game for so many years, makes a great quarterback. Well, consistency is, is very, very important. Um, and, you know, Eli Manning, for example, you said we weren't going to talk Eli, <laughs> but um, Eli Manning is a quarterback who is a big play kind of guy. Um, he, he's got no memory in terms of bad plays. Uh, he's basically been a league average passer uh, for most of his career, but he elevates his game somewhat statistically in the playoffs. And of course, as we know, he makes big throws in, in games when, when he need, or he made big throws in games when he needed to, which is, but the doesn't basis. that count as much? I mean, I, I hear well, you. Well, that I depends. Mean, I mean, that if you want to be a successful NFL team year in and year out, maybe not. Um, and again, it's hard to separate quarterbacks from teams. Now, everyone thinks you have to have a great quarterback to get to the Super Bowl, but teams have won Super Bowls with Brett, with um, uh, Mark Rippon at quarterback, with Doug Williams at quarterback, with Brad Johnson at quarterback, with the aforementioned Trent Dilfer at quarterback. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you don't have to have a great quarterback. You have Jeff Hostetler won a, su- a Super Bowl for the Giants. Um, you don't have to have a great quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Jim Plunkett won two Super Bowls with the mm. Raiders, and I find him very comparable to Eli Manning, but when people talk about Manning being a lock for the Super Bowl, nobody talks about Jim Plunkett um, being a lock. Sorry, a lock for the uh, for the Hall of Fame. Um, nobody talks about Jim Plunkett being a lock here, and and I think there there are a couple of things. The game is changing. It's you know it's so much more offense oriented, so much more passing oriented, I should say, and it's widening out from the influence of college football, so that mobile quarterbacks are really a necessity almost nowadays. It's it's getting harder to uh, play with simply a, a drop back kind of uh, offense, which is what was the norm in football for the last, well, I don't know, 50, 60 years, um, mm-hmm. which is how quarterbacks were evaluated. You wanted a guy who was big enough to see over the, over the pocket, had a, um, strong enough to avoid a rush or to, you know, absorb a rush and stand in against the rush. Ben Roethlisberger being the, the epitome and uh, had a big arm. And I think arm strength in particular, size, as a secondary factor, but those two things are the two most overrated characteristics when sure. people are evaluating quarterbacks. And what is most necessary is accuracy. I think more than anything, more than arm strength, you have to be accurate. It doesn't make any difference if you can throw the ball 40 yards and can't put it on a, on a button at 10 because consistency, as you suggested, is the most important thing. You can't move the chains if you can't throw consistently. And when you're playing a team like, say, Carolina or Buffalo who do this very, very well, they play a lot of zone defense that allows you completions underneath mm. on the, on the, the, the precept that if you can put together eight or 10 completions on a drive, well, more power to you, but we're not going to let you do that. You know, mm. we're going to, we're going to hit your receivers hard when they go underneath. We're going to give you the, the three yard gain when you, when it's third down and seven and mm. you're not going to get the first down. Uh, so, uh, so I think accuracy is 
under still underrated um, when people evaluate coaches. And the second thing is smarts, football yeah. smarts. Sure. It's it's being able to see and release quickly and put the ball accurately where it's supposed to go. And and some of our greatest quarterbacks, uh, Tom Brady and Brady, Peyton Manning, right? being probably the two the two most obvious kind of examples of it, would come out of the huddle, survey the field and know where the ball was going to go by the way the defense was aligned. Now, part of that is smarts, and part of it is hard work in terms of studying film and watching tendencies, but it's being able to put that together in your mind to do that. And I think... I, I think I called it the three R's back in our channel five days, which was something like read, react, release. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that to me is still the key um, for being a successful quarterback in this league. Now you can add nowadays sort of escapability or, you know, giving your offense that multiple improvisation uh, kind of, and keeping the play yeah, alive. Yeah. yeah. Which is what makes um, Russell Wilson so Wilson. good because yeah. to an extent he does both. Mahomes is, is so far from what I've seen, excellent at doing both. I Roth think he's he, had a vibe of that as well, hasn't he? In a different kind of way, just because of his physicality and he just going to, well, yeah, that's what I said. Ben is the epitome of the guy who can stand in yep. against the rush and, and let it go. And, and he gets hurt as a result. Um, but yeah, he can. Um, and then you have guys, I think Philip Rivers is in this group and, he, and he's as tough as they come. People, you know, we're, we're talking about he'll stand in against a rush um, like everybody. But there's guys like Rivers. Um, I put Matt Stafford in that group. John Elway uh, was, I think, a guy like that who always think that Jeff George was another one who will stand in. Elway had mobility, but they will wait for the play to be open and always think they could force the ball in. Brett sure. Favre's another oh, one yeah, in, the, yeah. in that group. Mayfield's question, that kind of player, isn't he? Well, I think he wants to be, but he, he shouldn't be. Mayfield, to be successful, has to be more like Drew Brees than Brett Favre. Um, he has, you know, and that's what Kitchens was trying to do for him. He's mobile enough, um, to be able to do the kinds of things that a Kyler Murray does, uh, in an offense. He runs better than, than people think, but he's not going to be a, a gunner. And the difference between a Brett, well, between a Brett Favre and an Elway and a staff, say, and a Stafford or a Jeff George is simply a little bit of anticipation. So, mm. What you get with, with Stafford a lot is that he's waiting for the receiver to come open and then pushing the ball in. Whereas um, Steve Young, say, would be throwing the ball before the receiver comes open. The extra second. The extra, yeah, yeah. And, and that makes all the difference. So that's a Brady or a, or a Manning knowing where he thinks, you know, the play's going to be, where the open receiver's going to be, will throw that ball before the receiver makes his cut sometimes. Watch that Atlanta second half, and, and you'll see Brady throw a couple of sidelines patterns where the ball is on its way before the receiver has even cut. Mm. Um, and it's coming right where the receiver's going to be. And if you combine that with, with the, the, the arm strength, then you've got the perfect quarterback. But, well, you know, speaking no- of which, let's have Iron Mike's top five. <laughs> Iron Mike's top five uh, quarterbacks of all time. And I'm, I'm guessing you, what we've just been talking about for the last five minutes paints the, uh, the uh, considerations, I think, uh, that we are weighing in here. So while I've gone for a more personal uh, favorite players I, I like to see, uh, there might be an element of that in your makeup, Mike, but you're, you're picking, I guess, based on 
quarterback. I was being, yeah, I was being um, analytical. Um, you know, my my personal favorites include guys like Charlie Johnson of the Arizona of the St. Louis Cardinals and John Hadel of the San Diego Chargers and you Look know, up, kids. Which is yeah, yeah. Well, again, when when you're young and you see these guys, they they and they 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 were both kind of kind of gunslinger types uh, in their era. Uh, Jim Hart of the Cardinals, I liked a lot. In fact, the Cardinals had a run of pretty good but yeah, mediocre the quarterbacks. Um, <laughs> good but mediocre. I was a big Excited fan of Bobby A. Bear too. Bobby A. Bear, that you would say deep dive. I love yeah, that. I mean, well, he was with the Michigan Panthers in the USFL, which is when he and Anthony Carter had one great year and tore that league up. But um, now this is. My top five it sort of stays more or less the same. Certainly, I think the top four does, and the fifth one is kind of a movable feast. And I change the way I rank the, the two, three, four guys you know, every time I think about it. And, <laughs> and then the next five, obviously. It's no – the, the NFL's been going for 100 years. So before everybody gets all upset, you know, there's no <laughs> disgrace to not being in the top five quarterbacks. In Fair the enough. I'm sure they will – you know, when when I've got John Unitas or Sid Luckman or Roger Staubach or uh, Breeze and Rogers or Lenny Dawson or, you know, uh, Dan Marino, <laughs> sort of below the surface. Wait a know. minute. Marino's not in your top five. He's we not in my top words, five. No, we are no. having words. But he probably words. cuts the top ten, so don't, don't oh, get upset. He'll be happy about that. All right. Yeah, so let's number get five it. is Steve Young, mm-hmm. uh, who I think is maybe in terms of the whole athletic package, the best quarterback of all time. Um, he could, he's probably, he's arguably the best running quarterback of all time. He was a hugely accurate passer with a strong arm. Um, but I, I, I put him at number five while having Joe Montana at number four just ahead of him. And I'm not quite convinced of the reason for it. Are you going to um, change your top five as we're going along, Mike? I think I get a sense you might be. I could, I could talk myself <laughs> into it. Here Montana's the ultimate system quarterback. And, Ooh, okay. and, and this is something that people argue about all the time. Brady. You know, the system. Brady, so, yeah. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Drew Brees is a system quarterback in that in that sense. And the thing is, you don't know how Montana would fare in another system very much because when he went to Kansas City, it was kind of the end end of his career, sure. um, and he Hard did he did relatively well as well. But. Um, Bart like Starr, Jordan of the Wizards, right? I mean, yeah. it's just not you. <laughs> Bart Starr is in that category. Um, you know, people would say to Dawson, who's, who's very similar to Bart Starr in a lot of ways, um, is in that category. So um, those two are four and five. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two, the 49ers. Just, um, just ahead of I think John Unitas was my number six. Um, in third place is Peyton Manning mm-hmm. for a lot of the reasons that I said before, um, being housewired. And Manning was a system quarterback as well, only it was Manning's system. <laughs> sure. <With the laughs> no matter, you know, when he went to Denver, he did the same thing that he did in, um, in Indianapolis. And I think when people denigrate Manning's second year in Denver because he didn't play well, Yep. Um, he was very creaky. Osweiler replaced him for a few games, you know, and did every bit probably as well as Manning. But he did quarterback that team to a Super Bowl as Trent Dilfer. And yeah, that, was, that was actually an accomplishment, I think, you know, um, for a guy who's at that point, his physical skills had, were limited by, by injury. Um, so I, I've got him in the number three. We, yeah, Jeff Dickerson uh, was in the house on Friday, Mike, I'm sure. I know because you not only do you subscribe – uh, and download. You also listen to the show, I know, of as well. Course. So you would, have, you would have heard that. Wouldn't miss a and minute. Madden came up actually in that very context, that final year, that Super Bowl year, where he was clearly a, 
a shadow of his former self, the high point, the apex of his career physically, but had those football smarts as well and um, and got it done. So, yeah, a really, really fair point. So those are your five, four, three. Who are the top two? Top two. Tom Brady's number two. Um, and, you know, people say Brady's a system quarterback. It's true to a sense, but the problem is that the system is Bill Belichick's system, and it changes every week. Um, <laughs> sure. Brady is one – he's one throwing 50 touchdown passes with Randy Moss in the lineup. He's one with a run-first lineup with Corey Dillon. Um, but most seasons he wins doing those things and more. Um, you know, and whatever they need executed, Brady's able to execute that uh, really well. And, you know, th- there used to be the argument of how would Peyton Manning do on a Belichick team and how would Brady do in Indianapolis? And I think that was always a fascinating one because how much would Peyton Manning want to control things, control things and, you know, and change the plays and, and do what he thought and, right. and how good would his judgment be? Um, you know, and probably pretty good. And, um, Isn't I think every quarterback assistant quarterback, Mike, to some extent. Yeah. And, and it's funny because my number one guy was a systems system quarterback back in the days when quarterbacks called their own plays. Um, and that's a big thing. People, you know, the difference between quarterbacks in the pre-passing era and quarterbacks today isn't only that the rules let them throw a lot and that you can throw far more, you know, than, than you do, um, but that they called their own plays. So signal calling was an important part of the job. And a guy like a Bart Starr or a John Unitas um, was able to call or Lanny Dawson was able to come up to the line and have that vision to be able to see what play he he had called in the huddle thinking what was going to go and then what, what he could switch at the time. Um, Bobby Lane is a hall of fame quarterback who didn't have a very good arm, but was incredibly tough and was a great reader of games um, Mm. and could, you know, could call those, those right kind of plays. Um, Sid Luckman was kind of like that. And I, I think it's interesting too, that Sid Luckman, for example, is still the greatest quarterback the Bears have ever had. Sure. Without an argument. There's there's not a, you know, Sammy Ball is a great player as well as a great quarterback. Jim you can argue, won him a Super Bowl, but was yeah, yeah you, you can argue one or two other Washington quarterbacks are up there in the Sammy Ball category, more more or less, Sonny Jurgensen being the most obvious one. Um but you know, Sid Luckman is still undisputedly the best quarterback the Bears have ever had. And he played in, in the early 1940s through the mid, through the mid 40s. And that's the way a Trubisky's lot. going is, yeah, he's going to hold on to that match. <laughs> he's going to another, years, he's yeah. got another couple of years. He pops, actually, you know, every time one of these guys comes up, he probably, sit, if he were alive, he would be sitting at home popping the champagne <laughs> cork like the, like the Dolphins do. Um, but, but that's true as well of the guy who's at number one for me was Otto Graham. Oh, um, Otto Graham of the Cleveland Browns. And he's still the best quarterback the Cleveland Browns have ever had. He was the first quarterback. The Cleveland Browns ever had. Graham played ten years in four years in the All American Football Conference, where the Browns won all four years. They came into the NFL and they won the NFL championship the first year. In fact, the first game they came back in the NFL, they beat the reigning champion Eagles, who had won two years in a row. And then they went to the championship game every single year that he played. Um, they didn't win them all, obviously, but he played ten years in the major leagues, as it were, and he went to 10 championship games. Um, Paul Brown talked him out of retirement for the 10th. When Graham left in 1957, they drafted Jim Brown. They were trying to get Len Dawson, strangely enough, um, who then withered until he got to the AF- AFL in 1962. But they had Jim Brown. They won one title. 
with Jim Brown, the greatest right. running back of all time. Graham, they went to 10 championship games and they won, they won um, seven of them, if I remember wow. correctly. Yeah. Um, I think in the modern game, I mean, he'd be small, obviously, because everybody was smaller. Um, he ran pretty well. He, but Graham was the guy who Paul Brown insisted on calling all the plays. And he would shuttle guards in with the play to the huddle. And Graham hated it. <laughs> Graham at one point said they would have, you know, they, they might never have lost if he'd been calling the plays <laughs> instead of Paul Brown. It, it was the one thing that they, um, that they, uh, they differed, differed on. But he's the most successful quarterback, I think, for good reason. He's the best quarterback the Browns have ever had for good reason. And so he's still number one. And when I played my first college game, which was a fresh freshman game against the Coast Guard Academy's freshman team. My father came down from work to watch the game. And after the game, I, I was playing both ways, split end and defensive end, um, which is an unusual mix, even at that level. And um, I, I came back and my father came up and said, oh, you know, good game, good game. And, and I said, oh, what did you, you know, how did I do? And he, he goes, oh, look, there's Otto Graham. <laughs> and Otto Graham was the head coach and athletic director at the Ghost Guard Academy at that point. <laughs> so he didn't really care about what I'd done because Otto Graham was there. And maybe that influences my pick. But that, that's, that's my top five uh, today, Young Montana, Manning, Brady, and Graham. Love the picks, Mike. And I figured Otto Graham would be in the mix because uh, he is someone you put me on to uh, early on in us working together. And I figured he might appear in your top five. Uh, uh, this is a great story that maybe sums him up and just how hardcore and tough he was. He was injured uh, in a game. Uh, an opponent's elbow uh, smacked him in the face. Uh, he had required 15 stitches. This was a game in 1953 against the 49ers. Had 15 stitches at halftime. Uh, went out wearing a face mask. Uh, and took them to a 23 to 21 win. So 15 stitches, got them sorted out at halftime and went on and uh, won the game for the Browns. <laughs> yeah, I think work. some people give Paul Brown credit for inventing the face mask, which that might, might have been the cause for it. After the war, <laughs> Otto Graham, before he signed with Cleveland, had nothing to do in, in the winter. So he played basketball for the Rochester Royals, who were in what was then called the National Basketball League. Um, and of course, they won the championship. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> anything he played, he would have destroyed everyone at Monopoly, I'm sure. Uh, my top five, super quick, and then we'll get into the mailbag. Uh, and remember, this is based on uh, players that I just love watching, uh, that have a sentimental value for me. And I wanted a kind of diversity of styles as well, because I'm sitting there on a desert island watching hour-long work of footage. I want to mix it up a bit. So I know who's going to be number one. <laughs> yeah, you do? Okay, I do. Write it down on a bit of paper. And we'll see I just right. did. I just told my dog. <laughs> okay. It's not Ken O'Brien, Rufus, although I would uh, I'd, <laughs> I'd have him as an outsider. Um, Carson Palmer is my, uh, seeing as Mike always has more than five, is my just missed, uh, clearly not, uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but just the way through the ball, before the knee injury in particular as well. Carson Palmer in the early years, of his career as a Bengal. Just love, I love an elegant pastor. And he is one of them. Michael Vick is my number five. Uh, forget his off the field transgressions and all of that nonsense on the field, uh, video game, uh, style. Michael Vick, electrifying, uh, and, uh, a seminal player in, uh, in, uh, recent uh, NFL history. I think for that reason only. Peyton Manning is number four for reasons Mike has eloquently outlined already the football smarts. Jim Kelly is my number three just because it was that era that when I was falling in love with the game and uh, Kelly was uh, presiding over this brilliant Buffalo's team, a uh, Buffalo Bills team that didn't win, of course, never won the big show, uh, but also for off his off the field 
strength and what he's become. Uh, one of the highlights, Mike, of, of you and I working together was when he came into, uh, into this, the booth when we were doing one of the games at Wembley and, um, uh, hell of a player, hell of a guy. So Jim Kelly, my number three, Russell Wilson is my number two. Again, we've covered Russell Wilson pretty comprehensively on the show today, but for that improvisation, uh, and just that sense that anything could happen with Russell Wilson, uh, despite the limitations around him at times, uh, and I think he's going to go on to even greater things. And number one, because it's an absolute homer pick, of course it's Dan Marino. Of course <laughs> you have Dan Marino on there. <laughs> I don't care what you say, and I'm disappointed he didn't make your top five, Mike. He was the greatest passer of the ball I've ever seen. And in a team that flattered to deceive, that 80s Miami Dolphins team with the Marx Brothers and the team that... Uh, that got me on to, and mentioned Ken O'Brien, those games against the Jets early doors in the, in the mid late eighties, uh, those two going at it, ridiculous score lines, ridiculously high wire offense. Um, Marina, who of course is trajectory into the NFL is draft stock dropped and all of that, uh, element to him. They had a point to prove and he went on and, uh, and did it. And then some, and the fact that I feel for the guy he doesn't, doesn't have that ring, which, um, is, uh, is always going to be an asterisk on his career. But Marino, uh, takes solace. You don't have a Super Bowl ring, but you are number one in my, in my, <laughs> yeah, top that, five. that was never in doubt. Uh, although I like, I like the Kelly, I like elevating the Jim Kelly, uh, mm-hmm. pick too, because Kelly, I think, is your ultimate gunslinger in a way. Yes. Um, and, and, and had an offense that really let him do that. And, and I think part of the, um, the, the game plan that, for the Giants that beat the Bills in the Super Bowl um, on the on the famous Norwood missed field goal um, was was predicated on Kelly not being able to deviate from the game game plan, you know, n- not recognizing what they were giving and what they were taking away, um, and uh, that's kind of like the hidden secret in in Belichick's uh, game plan there, uh, but. Mm. Yeah, you know, of course so he that, was the defensive coordinator of that giant side. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah, exactly. Um, and and presume and supposedly the game plan is sitting in the in the Hall of Fame right now. Um, there's <laughs> this wonderful moment in one of those NFL films things where they're talking about Belichick as as the coordinator in the Giants, and and Bill says something about how you know Bill Parcells let them you know, gave them the rein to do things. And, and Belichick's on the sidelines talking to, and maybe it was Lawrence Taylor or somebody. And Parcells comes over and says, uh, Bill, you know, we got to take care of you. We got it covered, Bill. Uh, well, we need to, well, we've got it covered, Bill. I'm talking about we, what we need to know, Bill, we got it covered. <laughs> and Parcells kind of mopes <laughs> away. <laughs> I've always, I've always loved that just, just little clip. And then you wonder why he didn't want to stay in the jets under Parcells <laughs> management. Uh, right. Let's dive to the mailbag. Uh, Thanks to Cameron Hall for his tweet at the NC show. Incidentally, if you want to uh, follow suit in the year of backup quarterbacks, the top five seasons for a backup quarterback. Maybe we could do that uh, for you next week. Mike. Sure. Fancy that? sure. Right, that's, uh, I already know who's going to be number one. Oh, good. Okay. Um, and he's not a million miles removed from your favorite team. Oh, God. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. It's not Cleo Lemon, is it? I really hope. Uh, <laughs> yeah, leave, Cleo, leave Cleo alone. Uh, all right. That uh, is a bit of homework for you uh, for next week. Uh, now, here's a good one, which maybe you can expand upon the initial question and, uh, and uh, feed into possible candidates for this gig. So uh, the question is uh, pretty straightforward. Why do my beloved Redskins suck? Asks Mark. Um, there are a lot of, <laughs> how long have you got? But it, let's maybe roll that into who might be a good fit uh, in terms of uh, head coach uh, contenders for them, which of course will be, uh, there'll be an interim situation till next season. So is it going to be a, 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 a veteran head coach, a zeitgeist coordinator that's going to get the step up? Who do you think could succeed there? 
That's a it's a huge question because uh, I think the colliery to that is who's going to want to go there. Right. I mean, there's always someone who does, you know, because the opportunity to be a head coach is is too enticing. But it's a bad situation, um, and a lot of people blame the owner. But but I think Dan Snyder's interference, as it were, um, or impatience, has been lessened in the past few years. And it's really Bruce Allen, the, the general manager, who has to bear the brunt of this. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's forced out the best personnel guy that, that they had, um, taken most of that over himself. He, uh, has not handled player negotiations or acquisition well. They, they tend to overplay, pay for players at, at, at positions where their need is not greatest. They don't build much depth and they've had bad injury luck. Um, for a couple of seasons, but of course, injury luck is something that good teams or consistently good teams tend to avoid better because they can, they have assembled depth and they can integrate the lesser players into their systems. I'm thinking particularly of the Patriots now, but there are other teams that have done it pretty well over the years, like the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously if you lose your starting quarterback and you don't have a great backup, but you know, remember Matt Castle going 11 and five with the sure. Patriots. Um, and you know, they, they had this long dance with Kirk Cousins where, Instead of giving him a long-term contract, they they kept franchising him, which meant they paid him more than they would have if they'd signed him to a long-term contract, but had the advantage of telling him, we don't think you're our long-term guy, um, which is not the way you want to run your quarterbacking situation. Now they've got Trent Williams, who, you know, even at his age and, and not as great as he once was, but still pretty damn good. Um, he's their best lineman, and he's not playing because he's got a, a feud with them over the way they handled his injury, and they haven't addressed it. They haven't done anything with him. They haven't traded him. They haven't you know, re- reached a settlement to get him back on the field. Um, it, it's just That's just bad management. Uh, and having said that, they dra- you know, there's all this argument over who drafted Dwayne Haskins. Which is, you know, which is not a bad draft pick, but you can't then draft him and say, well, we don't have any confidence in him, which is sure. kind of what they were saying, you know, um, kind of half-heartedly. And, and I think the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of Jay Gruden was when he was asked if Colt McCoy was going to be the starter on, I think it was Thursday last week. And he said, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And he said, who's, yeah, who's going to start out? All three of them. It was, uh, and yeah. You could understand and, the frustration there. I mean, that was, uh, so, so, you know, I think it's, it's a terrible situation. Um, it's just, and I don't know who's going to want Bill Callahan is fine as an interim coach. You know, he's been a head coach. You may remember when Gruden left, he was promoted in Oakland. And then when they got to the Super Bowl, um, he was still running Gruden's offense, including the nomenclature. So the Raiders knew every play. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Bucks knew every play the Raiders were going to run. Um, I, I think there's, there's some sentiment, I think, um, for the, for the team to promote from inside, which would mean skipping Callahan, because I don't think anybody sees Callahan as the long-term solution um, in Washington. But Kevin O'Connell, who's the offensive coordinator, who you may or may not remember watching when we were in the Patriots camp um, many years ago for, oh, Channel, yeah, for Channel 5. Was yeah, he yeah. was one of the backups, and, and he yeah. never actually made it in the NFL, but he's a very highly regarded offensive coordinator now. Um, and some people are mentioning him as a potential head coach. Um, 
you know, they've also got Greg Minuski is the defense coordinator. Um, his brother's been a head coach. Um, Rob Ryan probably would like the job, but I don't think on a team that needs more discipline, Rob's your answer. Right. Um, Ray Horton's been around a long time in the secondary. Um, they've got a bunch of guys who are potential head coaches there, but I really think that what they need is someone who's going to come in and to some extent either clean house or kick butt uh, or both. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, you, if you clear out everybody, then you don't have their butts to kick. Um, <laughs> point. Well, back yeah. here, right to the top of the show, Mike, you better get on that phone and return the phone calls uh, because you could be, you definitely be the guy I would pick for a kick in a bit. Yeah, now being butt. the Redskins, the guy they might well be most interested in is Mike McCarthy, who's kind of like the biggest successful name out there without a job. Well, thanks for the question. Appreciate that. And sorry, we didn't have time to get into uh, more. All those of you who have been uh, sending them in, we'll do our very best. Uh, just re- reboot again and try it again next week. We'll yeah, try if we haven't it. answered your question uh, on the show, I'll I'll, I'll uh, break po- protocol and answer some I'll of them. do it on Twitter, yeah. Why, Twitter, why break yeah. the habit of a lifetime? I love it. <laughs> now we've recorded the show, you're allowed to do that. That's good. Uh, cracking stuff as ever. Iron Mike, if you want to follow the big man at Carlson Sports on Twitter, and of course his weekly Patreon column, uh, patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FM. TE get involved uh, with that and I will see you Sunday at Spurs for yeah. the Bucks Panthers. Yeah, looking forward to that. That's actually going to be a really good game, I think. Um and and a test of the Panthers defense what I was talking about before of holding things underneath. Uh the Bucks are a team that want to beat you over the top if if they can. So I'm looking forward to that and of course based on last week it's such a nice venue to do a game at and um our position for the, for radio is just so perfect yeah, uh, for seeing the game. Loved it. And I'm looking forward to Sunday. Look after yourself, mate. I'll see you then. Okay. See you then. Crack is down from mind, Mike. We would not expect anything less. And how about that? We said his homework the next week as well. Incidentally, if you've got a top five for Iron Mike to consider on our Wednesday show, fire it in on social media at the NC show. We will take it under consideration. And even if we don't do it that week, we might well uh, stack it up for weeks to come because we are here all through the season up to and including the Super Bowl in Miami. So make sure you stay with us for all the key NFL news and chat. Jason Bell's dropping by on the show very soon as well. We've got Ben Isaacs, as I said earlier, in the house on Friday, our Saturday fantasy show as well. Uh, Ollie Gill, the OG, uh, getting you set for some daily fantasy. Thanks to our headline sponsors, Paddy Power Fantasy. Appreciate their support as ever. Incidentally, the London game, second London game at uh, Spurs this weekend. You might well be heading to that. And if you are, enjoy it. Uh, and if you're not, or if you are, and you're thinking, this is great, but I also want to check something out stateside, go to touchdowntrips.com. These guys will get that sorted for you to customize a trip, whether it's to an NFL game, a college game, a high school game, or all of the above. If you want to go and see your beloved Carolina Panthers or Tampa Bay Bucks over stateside, head to touchdowntrips.com and they will take care of business for you. They come highly recommended. Right then, Ben Isaacs in the house on Friday. We'll see you then. Bye for now, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.